Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show, where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the virtual voyage, we were in Israel, and we spent some time at the Davidson Archaeological Park. Remember how we got to see an authentic Roman street, a street that Jesus would have been on. We also saw the stones that were now toppled on the street that had once sat on top of the western wall. They were probably toppled off by Roman soldiers, or we saw that it was a bit of controversial opinion as another archaeologist said that an earthquake actually knocked them off. We learned about a mikvah, a Jewish ritual cleansing bath, and we saw how the Jews would ritually purify themselves and how there were so many of mikvahs around because they would have to do that before ascending to the temple. We also saw Robinson's Arch, which would have been a massive structure, and that would have carried the weight of a major staircase going up to the Temple Mount that so many people would have been on. We also got to go up to the Holda Gates, which are now sealed, but they would have been gates that, that people could have gone through as they are making their way to the Temple Mount. And we went on those steps, the same steps those worshipers, including Jesus, would have been on to get up to the Temple Mount. We stood on those steps that go up to the Holda Gates, which are now sealed. So that was our adventure last time. But as for our adventure today, well, do you remember a little bit ago when we were in the city of David that was with Hezekiah's Tunnel, that really fun underground water pool that we were in? And we went up to that lookout over in the city of David, and we, we looked out over the Mount of Olives. And I promised that we would go over to the Mount of Olives, and I said that we could walk over there because now it's not quite as deep as it would have been in Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, in fact, we believe that it was so deep that there was a bridge that actually would have been able to uh, bridge the gap between this side uh, of the Temple Mount and then the Mount of Olives. But today, it's filled in a little bit, and we can actually take a path to get over there to that other side. Today's going to be pretty unique. Uh, first of all, there aren't going to be really any food stops we're going to be able to make. So bring some snacks, bring some power bars. Of course, always a crucial, uh, crucial food item for a traveler. There also aren't going to be a lot of uh, places where we can simply stop and buy water. Um, there, are, there are some stores over there, but it's not anything like the, the tourist um, traps, I guess you could say, that are over here on this side of Jerusalem. Uh, so bring enough water, bring a few liters. Yes, I use the word liters and meters because we're in Israel and they're in the metric system. So make sure you bring water, food, and you'll also want to wear long pants. One, because we're going to go into some holy sites where they'll want you uh, to be having your knees covered. And two, um, I don't personally think that scraping up my legs is enjoyable when we're walking through the thorns. So wear long pants. Okay, so we're going to set out here from our hostel and we're going to go up Jaffa Street. Instead of crossing the busy street that we always cross and going down through the Jaffa Gate, we're actually going to take a street that forms a right angle here with Jaffa Street at this intersection. So we're going to go down King David Street. So just follow me. We're going to make this right turn here, and we're going to walk down King David Street. Now, as you're looking left and right here on King David Street, you're probably starting to see some fancier places, it's fair to say. There are some expensive hotels on both sides of the street. There are some, uh, some nice stores, nice restaurants. Come over here, though. Look over here to the right. And now, yeah, you got to look up. Do you see that really big tower that's in front of us here? Take a guess as to what that is. I, I promise you're not going to believe me when I tell you what this is. It's the, are you ready for this? The Jerusalem YMCA. It's a traditional YMCA. I mean, it has the normal YMCA features, a gym, a pool, all of that. But this one is actually very famous and has some cool history to it. 
There's also some, some clubs that meet in there, lounge areas. It's, it's rather unique. Honestly, now that you've been here, you can tell people you've come to the Jerusalem YMCA, and I guarantee you, people who know this place, you've gained clout with them. Now, walk just a few steps along the road here, and, and, and then look here on this massive hotel on the left. This is the King David Hotel. Okay, so you may have heard of this hotel from the news, and you probably would recognize it, maybe, as, as the place where President Trump stays when he visits Israel. President Trump has a suite in there, and it can withstand, get this, it can withstand a bomb attack, bullets, a gas attack, and, okay, this is the real kicker, if the entire building were to collapse, his, su uh, his suite would actually be okay. It would somehow fall into the ground, and he'd end up being alive at the end of that. I'm not an architect, so I can't comment on how all of that works, but many people are fascinated to see this hotel. It's very expensive to begin with, but now you know where Trump stays and where some other prominent visitors stay when they visit Israel. Okay, so let's continue our walk. Uh, do you see the windmill up ahead? Yes, that's, that's a windmill. So that windmill was actually built by a famous philanthropist in 1857. Okay, so now the only issue with a windmill here, do you feel any wind up here? Any, any wind that's specific enough to be able to uh, stir the windmill enough to grind some wheat? Yeah, Jerusalem isn't necessarily extremely windy. So for a while after the windmill was built, nothing happened with it. Okay, but here's where the story gets interesting, because during Israel's war for independence, the soldiers actually used the windmill as a, a watchtower of sorts, because it overlooks Jerusalem, it overlooks the old city, so they could come up here and get a good view uh, of the old city and then report back. Okay, that idea, let me tell you, it kind of got ruined when the top was blown off by British soldiers. Uh, but the windmill was restored just a few years back, 2012, I believe. Uh, so just a few years back, the windmill was restored. Now it really serves as a reminder uh, of, of the Jews, uh, of the Jews and their freedom. To me uh, personally, when I come here, it's a reminder of what it took for the Jews to be free in this land, in their land of Israel. This is the land we know that that God gave to Abraham, and he's the first Jew whom God established His covenant with. Okay, so we know the story, most likely. Through, through disobedience, the Jews were ultimately exiled from their land. But God has worked in mighty ways to bring the Jews back to Israel. And that has happened even more so in recent years, within our lifetime. I'm 18, but even within my lifetime, in the last 18 years, I've seen miraculous uh, happenings from God to bring the Jews back to their promised land. See, we'll end up going to some of the battle sites for the Jewish War of Independence, for the Israeli War of Independence, and we'll talk about some of the stories of how God worked to bring the Jews to victory. It truly is miraculous for so many of these stories. But for now, I, hopefully, uh, I, I hope that this windmill gives you a taste of, of the significance of what it means for the Jews to be back in this land and what freedom means to them. So now, here on the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM, we're going to take this little-known path we're actually going to skirt around the old city of Jerusalem, and then we're going to go through the Kidron Valley, which is that valley that's separating this side of Jerusalem that has the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives. So follow me down here. There's going to be some thorns and thistles along the way. That's why I told you to wear long pants. And we're actually going to cross over from here to the Mount of Olives on the other side. And, and it is a bit of a walk. Let me tell you, as we're walking here, walking in Israel is a must. Our tour guide in Israel, when, when we go as a family, when I go with my family, I've mentioned him before, the awesome tour guide Aaron, he plans crazy hikes for our family. They often include stops to swim in springs and seeing some fantastic sights. I mean, Israel, 
we we think about the United States, right, and maybe uh, Arizona's Grand Canyon and how cool that is and how amazing that looks. I can tell you with certainty, after being to the Grand Canyon too, that going to places in Israel, they rival, if and if they're not superior to, uh, some sites that we have in the United States that we think of as amazing. Israel is such a small little plot of land, but goodness, is it wondrous. I remember once we did an all-day hike with our with our tour guide, tour guide Aaron. It was 12 miles, I believe, all day. It was crazy, and we just simply walked the entire way, and we made it. And we also saw some fantastic sights. So hiking in Israel isn't just a way to escape that gas money. It really is a way to experience the land in a new way. We even have some other friends in Israel who we enjoy hanging out with, and they're locals, so they know some great spots, and we'll hike with them too. In fact, this hike that we're taking right now over to the Mount of Olives is one that they showed to us. Okay, so here's the hard part. Ready, guys? Here we go. We have to go uphill. I know there's sweat, there's sand, there's dirt. It's not a great combination, but we're getting really close. So we just have a few more steps. Come on. Here we go. Here we go. And we're outside of our first stop. We did it. So now we're outside of a really cool place, the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's probably familiar to you. It's a place where Jesus, he, he, was pr he prayed there on the night of his arrest, and then he was arrested there. So let's go ahead on in. Okay, the first thing you might notice is that, well, we're in a garden. You probably are seeing all the olive trees around us. And these olive trees are very old. Through carbon dating, people have found that some of the trees go back to even 1000 AD. Uh, DNA tests show that these trees uh, right here in front of us were actually planted from another tree. Perhaps maybe a tree that does go back to the time of Jesus. You know, we can always speculate, right? And, and some people will actually argue that there are trees here uh, where we are right now that go back to the time of Jesus. Well, the reason I like coming here and I, I want to bring you here is because I like to try and imagine what it would have been like as Jesus was praying here in agony and then he was arrested right after, uh, or, or he was arrested after being betrayed by Judas. I mean, just imagine that scene that's taking place right where we're standing or very close to it. Jesus knows that his death is coming and he prays to God and cries out that if there's a way that the pain might be taken, that God would please provide that way. And we also know, according to the biblical account, that Jesus was uh, sweating drops of blood. Hematidrosis, I believe it's called. It's a, it's a, it's a medical uh, condition where you actually are in such agony that you literally will sweat blood. And we, of course, know that Jesus told his disciples to pray, but they kept falling asleep right here, right here, maybe under these trees. And he kept coming back for them. Then, as Jesus is talking to them right here in front of us, the Roman soldiers come. Can you imagine all these Roman soldiers just marching up? We actually know uh, from one of the Gospels that it's a Roman cohort that's coming. Okay, so a cohort is one-tenth of a legion. A legion is 6,000 soldiers. So you do the math. There would have been roughly 600 Roman soldiers all there to arrest one man. Definitely speaks to the idea that the Romans saw Jesus as a threat. They knew of his power. And they were, they were fearful of him ushering in his kingdom, which we know is an eternal kingdom. While the Romans had uh, a political kingdom here on earth, but the Romans still feared what uh, the movement that Jesus um, was, was creating. And so they brought 600 people, 600 soldiers to arrest one man because they saw him as such a threat. We know that Judas, his disciple, is the one who truly betrays him. Judas probably just walked maybe maybe right along here, right down on this ground. And he comes up to Jesus and he kisses Jesus as a sign to the Roman soldiers to lead Jesus away. I'm amazed that that scene took place right here or in an area just around here, probably within the view of our eye. 
You know, that's why I love being in Israel. The Bible comes alive. It comes alive. I can't ever read the story of Jesus' arrest in the same way after I've literally stood in the place where he was arrested. Okay, so you might be wondering uh, about Jesus and on the night of his arrest and, and how many people were around him. Is it just the disciples? Is it a few more? Well, you can imagine, mean, at least when I first thought of this, I thought that Jesus was alone in, in Gethsemane, but that's simply not the case. First of all, we have to understand that this is the time of Passover, right? So there's a key historian named Josephus. Some of you might have heard of Josephus. He's written many uh, famous accounts pertaining to the Jews, pertaining to the time of the Romans. Well, Josephus recorded that even one million people could have been here in Jerusalem for the Passover. And then you have to understand that there are going to be poor people, of course, who, who couldn't uh, stay in an inn or stay in a hotel uh, for, for when they're here in Jerusalem for Passover. So their version of the Motel 8, so to speak, is going to be sleeping up here on the Mount of Olives. So it's essentially camping in the time of Jesus. But the point that I'm trying to make is that there are a lot of people up here with Jesus. On my first trip, I, I got here to the garden, and I'm thinking, wow, what a nice private place Jesus must have brought his disciples to, and he's, he's just having peace with them, and he's, he's crying out to God, and he's asking them to pray, and it's, it's just him alone with his disciples, but that's simply not the case. It can't possibly be true, because we have you know, one million people all in the city of Jerusalem, all up here, or, or a majority, maybe even so, up here, camping out, and so he's really not as alone as you might think. Okay, then Here's another note. Even if you're not very familiar with Judaism, you've probably at least heard of Passover or what the Jews call Pesach. And we know that Passover celebrates the Jews' freedom as they came out of Egypt. So here's an interesting note. The Romans would have been very concerned about an uprising because they would know that the Jews at this point would be celebrating their freedom. So they'd have that concept of freedom, that concept of coming out of Egypt at the forefront of their minds. Maybe they'd be more prone to uprising uh, than usual. Obviously, the Jews didn't like what the Romans were doing to them. The Romans were oppressing them, and, and the Jews probably just, just wanted to get away, really. And so the Romans recognized that, and they recognized that the Jews were, were just longing for their freedom. And so many more Roman troops than usual would have been in Jerusalem there for Passover. Also, we know that after Jesus was arrested, he went before a few people, right? After he was arrested right here, right here in this vicinity, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went before um, a few people to stand trial. But his last stop before, before ultimately his, his crucifixion was before Pilate. But in the book of John, chapter 18, we read that Pilate was the Roman governor, and Pilate resided in Caesarea, and that's actually a little under two hours by car from here. Why was Pilate in Jerusalem? Well, it's actually because he was concerned about the potential of an uprising. So we have these Romans, we have Pilate here, who are all concerned with this uprising. And then at the same time, we have Jesus, who, uh, who, who obviously is a major figure for the Romans as they're concerned about him even starting an uprising. So it's a really interesting way that that all comes together. And hopefully that background is helpful. And uh, at least uh, for me, it informs my biblical studies. And I hope that it will do the same for you. So next up on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM, follow me over here. There's this, this church, the Church of All Nations. And I'm going to invite you to go in there and go up to the front because there's something special in there. There's the section of bedrock. Bedrock is essentially uh, just rock that's coming out of, of the ground, really. The tradition is that at that bedrock, Jesus prayed right there. Now, here's a note I'd like to make. You'll see people go up and, and throw their head on the rock and come close to maybe worshiping the rock. So, 
it's a it's a good moment uh, for me to take a, a a second just to say a word that I hope you'll carry with you for the rest of our time here in Israel. It's easy to see these places that we've read about so much in the Bible, and it's easy to really almost come to a place where where we're worshiping the site. And when we go to these sites, there's a fine line we have to be aware of between being in awe of the place and what might have happened here and literally worshiping the physical stone or rock or whatever physical uh, thing it might be. So I'd encourage you to take the time to reflect inside the church, enjoy the quiet atmosphere, but don't worship the rock, even if it is the rock that Jesus prayed at. Well, I hope that was an enjoyable experience for you and that you were able to reflect a little bit and pray and have some time with God, but not cross that line of worshiping the stone or worshiping this rock. We know that we are to worship the one true God, and if something is even to become an idol, we need to get that out of our lives. So it's a good moment to recognize that here as we're on this virtual voyage. Now, I'd like to head on over to a lookout area. It's going to be really cool. Make sure you have your camera. So let's walk on over there. Now, the path to get there is narrow. When two cars come on this path, it's trouble. I mean, you can see how, even especially with pedestrians, this would be a disaster. Sometimes buses will have to come up here, and they're super wide, and they just have to hope and get lucky that they don't run into another car on the way, or they'll have to back up and then retrace their steps. So stick close to the edge over here with me, and let's try to get out of this area as soon as possible. So we've come to this lookout area, and this is a breathtaking view of the Temple Mount. It's honestly probably one that might even look familiar to you because a lot of famous pictures of the Temple Mount are actually taken from this side. We're, we're looking west, the side of the temple. So you look out, and you first probably see the Dome of the Rock, and it's glistening in the sun. And we have that beautiful, beautiful gold layer on the top of the dome, and so you can always recognize the Dome of the Rock when it's glinting there. Now, follow, uh, follow my finger here and just look a little bit behind the Dome of the Rock. You see the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Okay, so that place is where Jesus was said to have been crucified. We'll actually go there and analyze whether that is the actual site and, and look at some of the evidence. But that's the traditional site that most people would argue for today. Now, look a bit to the right. Okay, just a little bit. Yep, there you go. That's good. See the tower structure? Yeah, that's actually the YMCA we were at earlier. So we came all the way from over there. You should be pretty proud. And then how about just a bit to the left? Do you see that rectangular structure? No, hardly at all. There you go. That's the King David Hotel. That's where we were at as well. That's where Trump stays. And then bring your eyes back over to the Dome of the Rock and look down. Okay, look down just a little bit. That's a Muslim cemetery. Okay, and if you look really closely or maybe get out your phone and try to zoom in a little bit, you can see a few of the tombs are painted green. So Muslim martyrs, um, such as maybe like suicide bombers, as, as we'd see them, they're looked upon as very holy in Islam because they're martyrs for the cause of Islam. So they actually have their tombs painted green. So if you ever are in a Muslim, ce uh, Muslim cemetery and you see that green painted tomb, you know that it's a Muslim martyr. Okay, so get your final pictures, and we're going to head on over to another cemetery here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Well, this spot is one we've actually seen before, just from a different perspective. This is the Jewish cemetery on the Mount of Olives, and many prominent rabbis and other Jewish historical figures are actually buried here. Like I've said, it's actually quite an honor to be buried here. The cemetery was begun during the first temple period, 
which was mm, about 3,000 years ago. And people are still buried here. There are an estimated 70,000 to 150,000 tombs in this area, and that's just based on the amount of layers that people have been buried in. Now, you may notice something strange. At least I thought this was very strange when I first saw it. Some of the graves, well, many of the graves have stones on them. What's really interesting is that the Jews will actually put stones on a grave when they visit it as a way to show respect for the dead person. It's almost like this reverential mark for them that they visited their grave. So I don't want us to go walking around in there, but I did want you to see this famous place, and now you know. If you ever go to a, a Jewish cemetery and you see stones, now you know why. So now we're going to go to the uh, to the top of the Mount of Olives just really quickly. I know, another ascent. You know, it's not my favorite thing either. But we're going to walk in this building right here called the Chapel of Ascension. Come to the middle. Do you see where I'm pointing? It's this, it's this rock in the ground. What's the significance of that? Well, that's actually where Jesus is said to have ascended to heaven after his resurrection. We read in Luke that Jesus led his disciples out as far as Bethany, and then he ascended into heaven after blessing them. So people have argued that Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, not Bethany, uh, but rather that he was just out towards that area. You know, I doubt that this is the exact location that Jesus ascended from because that's really hard to pinpoint. But tradition puts it here, and so we'll follow the tradition. At this point, let's make the hike back onto the hostel, or back to the hostel. We've seen quite a lot today, and it's been pretty awesome. I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Now go back to the hostel and take your shower. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we experience a Jewish Shabbat in the city of Jerusalem. Do you think it's even possible for a city like this to come to a screeching halt? Are you ready for one of the best meals of your life? All of that and more next time on the Virtual Voyage.